Maybe I don't know. Now, there's a beat there, isn't there? There's space. Like it, it, it invites inquiry. You know, you get to start to be curious. Like maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know if like I really thought my mum hated me or my dad was, he left me because I was a bad kid. Like what if that isn't the case? What if really my dad left because he felt inadequate as a man and it was nothing about me. And yet for these 20, 30 years, I felt like I was not good enough for him. everybody and welcome to episode 17 of the two lads podcast welcome back to all of those who listened to the season before and hello to all you newcomers legs who's on this podcast today this is episode 17 with our wonderful guest peter crone the mind architect we had a great conversation with peter um, about truth love our perspectives on the world how to change our perspectives our subconscious mind all that good stuff so stay tuned i'm sure you're going to learn a lot I certainly did. We're very excited to be back from uh, a little break and uh, we're doing things a little bit different from now on, but uh, you'll pick it up as we go along. Anyway, here's a word from Daniel, who's got a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone and live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It is much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. The Two Lads podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash two lads. That's betterhelp.com slash two lads. Yes, mate. Yes, mate. Uh, Peter Crone. Welcome to the Two Lads Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mate. Two fine, two fine lads, could I say. Uh, two two incredible lads. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, uh, we were just saying, you're our first guest on, on, on the show. And we're super, super psyched to have you. But we're all from England. How the hell did that happen? We all live in America. Madness. Clearly, I, I, I don't know. There's got to be some like better, better story that I'm sure we can come up with. Yeah, uh, Can we, should we just lie? We, we, yeah, yeah, we should. Yeah, how we all, how you all got behind mahogany? I feel like I'm very out of the loop with the mahogany thing. Mate, you didn't get the mahogany me- memo. Yeah, yeah, I really feel like I should have positioned this in a different position. You've got all the lads from England with mahogany and yeah. uh, changing Americans' lives one 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 soul at a time. You look like you've got some good balsa wood, like from Ikea, though. Yeah, so. this is proper <laughs> Ikea. Well, he's in England, that's why. He's yeah, in England exactly. right now. So, yeah, you know. see, that's what happens. You go to America, the you know. <laughs> It's exactly. like Will Ferrell in uh, Anchorman, you know? Mm, right. the, the rich smell of mahogany. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can um, see the upgrade in one image, it's, you know, England yeah. on this side and you, you know, beautiful brown wooded people over there all right go on Lex. ask your question all right okay Easy. so so yeah i mean well for, i mean how did you end up in you're in you're in la 
Just outside, yeah. Okay, just California. outside. How did you end up in America and, and Los Angeles? And like, what's your what's your kind of quick version of like, how did you get here? And like, what got you into like the self development world? And and you know, just give me a little, give us a quick little. Uh, well, that's two very interesting questions, both of which okay. could take about an hour. So as long okay. as you can have to sit quietly and enjoy your 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 versions of wood. Yeah, well, yeah. well, I will say, I will also say this is that this part, the point of this part of for us to, to bring big guests on is like we want mentors. We think mentors are important, and yeah. um, we're doing our podcast, and we we've had this first season, and it's been really um, amazingly received and like blown us away in the uh, in how it's been received. But then it's like, how do we up the game now? How do we how do we grow? And and so we can me and him can chat and talk about what we've learned and we progress together, but also to bring people in and say, right, you're our mentor for this hour, you know, yeah. and 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 what can we learn from you that makes the two lads, three lads and, and beyond. And so yeah. so we want to hear what your story is and, and, and all that stuff. Okay. And, and so, well let's do yeah. the short story and then we can do in you know a bit more mentoring. Yeah. Um, so grew up in southeast Kent, Dover, White Cliffs. Um, and when I was at uni up in Loughborough, I, like a lot of students, got the opportunity to do sort of not an exchange program, but, you know, they basically pay peanuts for someone to fly over from Europe to America and be a camp counselor at a, a summer camp. Yeah. So that was in upstate New York. I was at the time a pretty good tennis player. So I was coaching tennis to the kids. That was about an eight week, two month uh, process. I traveled around for about a month afterwards, just backpacking, you know, I'm like, 20 or whatever. And um, I made some good friends both at the camp and then subsequently as I traveled around, one of whom really was intent on moving to LA. His family had been based in film. And so when I came back to Loughborough, I was doing a master's. I finished that. When I'd done, uh, I was going to travel around the world with a mate of mine who was going to Southampton, but he was the world's greatest procrastinator. So he <laughs> he hadn't finished his thesis. I'd done mine. I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. I'll go and see this mate of mine in California. And then he and I were going to travel around the world. Anyway, cut to that took me to California to visit this friend that I'd made in upstate New York while I was coaching tennis. And I never left. It's the old uh, Eagles song, you know, che you can check in, but never leave. And um, yeah. so we started a production company um, and made an absolutely atrocious uh, full length feature film. <laughs> 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 Got to see that. <laughs> but an incredible experience for, at the time, three 23-year-olds or whatever. Um, and that was uh, sort of my foray into the world of Hollywood and L.A. And eventually I had no money. I actually I started with no money, so then I eventually still had no money. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're consistent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was definitely a pattern there because <laughs> um, we didn't make any money off the film. We raised money to make it, but you know we got we got screwed basically by the distribution companies because we were we were nobodies. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. And then I got a job in a bar and you know uh, had some fun there, and then eventually became a trainer. And the trainer took me on a path which was pretty cool, working with a couple of VIPs and. So now I'm getting to the second part of your question about self-development. That's I, I was always really fascinated with the power of the mind and why human beings did what they did. And um, certainly through a lot of my own adversity, it really became the catalyst for a lot of powerful revelations. Mm. And I started to share those with people and really saw the impact it was having on their lives and removing suffering and helping them find what I assert as my main product, which is true inner freedom and peace. So, um, yeah, so from being a broke 
terrible movie producer at 23 to becoming like a bartender and just getting drunk on the weekends and trying to pick up California girls to becoming a trainer to the stars and then eventually, you know, got my shit together and became the, uh, the mind architect. Mm. Amazing. Peter, do you, I guess like I'm, I'm back here right now, you know, filming and, um, I was going to ask you if, if your experience, if, if there's a, a feeling that you could have done what you did in England or there was it was culturally you felt freer in, in America and why that was, you know, why you were able to kind of, you know, embark on that journey. And do you think that that would have been different had you been in England? Because I'm finding here there's a big cultural difference between how people perceive their own mind. You know, I'm really interested in what you talk about a lot, which is is how your own internal reality is, is reflected in the outside. Right. And yeah. so do you feel that that, that you could only have done this journey in America? And if so, why? I think the short answer is yes. Mm. And, and I don't want to get too philosophical out of the gate, but let's face it. That's what I do. Right. I sort of get, very no, let's, please, please, let's do it. Let you do it. Go for it. So the, so the, so the actual answer is, could I have done it in England? No. And, and why? Cause I didn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the mic drop moment genius right? like, that's one of my favorite quotes somebody actually recently really touching a guy actually tattooed his quote my quote on his forearm uh, i think i've got now 10 or 12 tattoos that people have used uh, quotes of mine like that at least that people have told us about other people might have done it without saying but well, this particular I, see Peter, story, I was going to say this um <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, name that's a, yeah, that's, yeah, a yeah, that's different though your face actually but yeah. <laughs> um so this guy had been struggling and cutting you know and then he eventually tried to take his life a couple of times so his forearm was just covered in all of these uh, scars from cutting and he heard me on a podcast use this particular quote which ties into answering your question which is what happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't and it's really speaking to how we can reconcile our history right so for him, he had had so much self-guilt and shame about what he'd done in his past, a myriad of different things he'd done. And that's where he was berating himself and fundamentally like harming himself. And when he heard the quote, he said he found the most profound forgiveness for himself, that what had happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. And so he actually tattooed it all across his forearm, covering the scars, which for me was one of the most touching stories. Right. So it ties into your question about, you know, uh, could I have done it in England? And no, because what happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't, right? So, sure. so that, that's the more flippant sort of philosophical response. The, the, the Speaking to culture, for sure, like in America, they've got, you know, a greater sense of possibility. I mean, mm. there's a huge amount of, I think, pretense here. Like I've always said, if you want anything packaged, go to America. Like they'll make anything look good. You know, the mm. contents could be complete dog shit. <laughs> But boy, you can see it on a shelf. It's like, I want one of those. Mm. So there is a degree of pretense here that I'm not such a fan of. I think Brits tend to be a little bit more real and authentic like the Aussies, you know, part of that Commonwealth. But there is a much greater sense of possibility in America, like the quintessential American dream, albeit obviously with the events of the last two years becoming very diluted now. But mm. I, I really do feel when I got here, it was like anything's possible. You know, if you've got enough discipline, enough creativity, a sense of entrepreneurship, and you're willing to do what it takes, you can create anything. So, mm. um, and also the other part is that I couldn't have coached kids in upstate New York in England. 
<laughs> so, that, would been, that would have been difficult. It would logistically, logistically, that would have been a lot of tricky. Hey, I'm pretty smart, but I'm not a wizard, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it's a great question, but the answer is no, literally, and no, like yeah. in terms of cultural possibility. Sure. Do you, do you think that it also? Um, I mean, uh, we I can totally relate to what you're saying, just because I've done that myself. We've all done it here. But do you think that there there's a kind of because you're stepping out of your own culture and stepping into a new culture, there's also that kind of uniqueness. There's a little bit more specialness of you. You yeah. kind of have a little bit of a sheen to you. I mean, for me, at least it was that. I'm from Leeds, you know. And so right. in England, you're already categorized. Oh, you're from Leeds. I know exactly the kind of person you are because I'm from <laughs> here, you know. And so to to take away that that label, that that that's what America did for me. Was that do you think that, that also kind of influenced you being an Englishman in Los Angeles, in this case, not New York. But, um, um, I would have you know gone to New York, but Sting, Sting took that one. Sting That's was right. already there. <laughs> yeah. he, he beat me yeah. to it. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, 100%, mate. Uh, I think, you know, it's also understanding energetics, right? Like, think about, I often use uh, the example of when you sit on an airplane next to a stranger. It can often elicit this beautiful conversation where you go down a rabbit hole that perhaps you wouldn't have done if you were sitting with a mate because there's this, unspoken feeling of, of newness. Mm, and yeah. I feel as human beings where we struggle is we become so uh, belabored and attached to our history. Like you said, you're, you're from Leeds. I, yeah, you're from Leeds. I know what you do. You know, it's like I see down the pub on Friday and, you know, it's like there's a sense yeah. of like this contamination mm. and um, sitting next to a stranger on a plane, there's this feeling of both newness, but also detachment because you can almost sense that feeling of liberation that I can tell this person anything because I'm not going to see him again. So, yeah. you know, in most people's vernacular, it's like, who cares? I, I don't like that term. I think it's more, don't worry. I like to mm. care. I don't like to worry. It's a subtle distinction. But um, so I think going to a new culture, going to a new city, starting a new relationship, like how many yeah. people, you know, have we, we dated or you've been in a relationship and it, it becomes uh, a little bit sort of people get resigned, you know, and become like apathetic in the same scenario. So I think there's something to be said for freshness that can be inspiring. Mm. Um, and certainly it becomes exacerbated by virtue of it's a bigger country. You know, the, the sheer size of the country has more mm. possibility. Like space is something that I like to talk about. Space is, a, is synonymous with possibility, right? If you're in a very confined if you're living in a prison, you don't have much space, right? You don't sure. have much possibility. So I think the newness of coming to a new country, the sheer geography of the space combined with the cultural sense of anything's possible yeah. really was the conduit for me to, you know, do some things that I would never have dreamed of uh, being in England. I, I love this. And I think we could tie this into us, the, the, the kind of more focused thing of relationships in that same thing of like newness. Why, why is, why is newness like so intoxicating? Why can, why can, you know, when you, when you first start a relationship or like you just said, you're talking to a stranger, you can reinvent yourself. Like why yeah. do we get into these prisons in our minds of like, this is who we are. And so if you, if someone knows you as this guy and you have, you're a, a bubbly dude or you, you're a shy person or whatever you are. And now you're, you have to be a shy person for the rest of your life. As long yeah. as people know you as that, why yeah. do we get into those prisons? And then, so, um, but then we're so desperate to get out of them. When we go into new scenarios, we just reinvent ourselves. And then it's like freedom all of a sudden. How come mm. we can't do that? Just yeah. why is that so hard? 
It's a brilliant observation, mate, and it's really the corner piece of my work, which, as I say, that the, the ego or the identity, which is what you're relating to as somebody who's bubbly or shy, we could say that's their persona, mm, yeah. uh, which I would equate with ego or identity, is by default, its m- number one priority is to be right. So this right. is why relationships where people fight, whether it be in an intimate romantic or in families or between religions or between nations, we're right, you're wrong. And, and the reason is it's the primary source of survival, right? Because if I can find validation in my own existence, then I survive. And mm-hmm. so having a history that we can like relate to that defines us from an egoic point of view, it gives us a sense of like identity and worth. And certainly mm-hmm. it gets even more slippery, right? If our history is something that people uh, acknowledge or we're proud of, right? You know, I deal with this with pro athletes when they retire, there's real depression that happens because mm-hmm. their identity that was founded in all of these accolades and they were worshipped and they got millions of fans and now all of a sudden they're just dad, <laughs> you know, or mum. Yeah. Like, and so it really challenges the ego. Um, so that to me is the, 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 the basic understanding of why is because the ego wants to be right. And what it wants to be right about in this case is its own existence, because in the absence of being right about itself, you, you're left with a much more powerful, but also sort of slippery question, which is who am I? Mm, yeah. right? And that for a lot of people is very disconcerting. It leaves them feeling disoriented. So yeah. for me, that's my work is helping people go from the knowing mind, which is stagnant because there's no room there to the unknowing mind, mm. which is the space of possibility and creativity. It's, it's right. interesting, Peter, because it's also like, you know, what you know is often, what you know is often what you think others will like, right? Like there's this idea that you talk a lot about it in your, in your work, which is you are lying essentially, right? At the beginning of a relationship, you are putting forth a version of yourself that is not you. Yeah. The, The lie is often created from an idea of what works what versus what doesn't work, you know? And so, and, and I'm, I find that actually I'm trying to, to, in my work as, as a man or just as a person is to try and lean into the truth of this. And that's a really hard place because it's not, sometimes it's not even that interesting, right? Because I have a perception of what is interesting and what isn't interesting. So there's a really interesting thing there because you're both lying and also it's a perception of what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's a facade, right? Like, so if you look at it at an even deeper level, fundamentally, regardless of someone's age, I would assert that most people are walking around like a scared and hurt child, right? So even if I'm working with a 63 year old billionaire or a 28 year old multimillionaire athlete, or, you know, a 40 year old actor who's got plenty of money and fans, like what I'm appealing to, or what I'm hearing is like that five year old who still hasn't been held and loved. And so what you're speaking to, Daniel, is like this mechanism that we have, the ego really fundamentally wants to be loved and accepted, mm. which is really no different than the, the sort of that vulnerability of a child that wants to be held. And that's why one of my quotes, again, I say the ego doesn't want to be healed, it wants to be held. Mm. And people are trying to get rid of their ego and like, oh, if I could just get out of my own way or but I'm like, no, 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 no. You want to embrace the part of you that's your humanity. You want to embrace the part of you that never felt like it was enough in the family or your siblings were more accomplished or better athletes or you were never told that you were amazing or you were never told even that your parents said, I love you. You know, and a lot of kids go through that. And these are different degrees of trauma. Trauma is a strong word, but I would assert, you know, wherever children aren't fully loved 
then it is a form of abuse, which is a yeah. hard thing for people to hear, you know, because yeah. yeah. people think of abuse as sexual abuse or being hit, which is sure. just disgusting and there's no space for it. I really, I find it so vile. But even a child who is told at the dinner table, like, you know, just to be seen and not heard, you know, like that's often the case for children. Yeah. You could say it's, they're not being hit, but like for that kid, it just feels like children are so powerless and mm. like to, to be controlled in that way, like, and felt like you are dismissed or not worthy, that will translate into a human being later who now, to your point, Daniel, when you're dating someone is being driven by these deep seated fears of in inadequacy and security and so you develop compensation patterns, right? The mm. perfectionist, the people pleaser. And we want to look good because fundamentally we think that who we are, we've got all the evidence from our history. We weren't loved for who we are. So we've got to be us plus something now to be loved. Right. And that's why people are so stressed and they get sick. So really that's the journey of a human being is, is as ironic or cliche as it sounds is to develop self-love. Mm. And then... You, you, you can be yourself with others because you're not asking for them to do that job. You know, most people are waiting for somebody else to love them because they haven't found that for themselves and that will never, ever be sustained. Yeah. Do you, do you think that on like an evolutionary level, like that's about survival, it comes from survival, but like, yeah. you know, a hundred years ago and prior to that, we were just trying to live, right? Like, like yeah. this thing called self-development, we've kind of, made it up to to start dealing with these things as other things are getting taken care of like the basic yeah. kind of it's, functions of humanity so like but ultimately do you think that this self-development and all the things we just started to talk about it still stems from being alive surviving in the village being accepted in the village as a as a as a kind of uh, affluent member of the society do you, do you think it has 100%. a correlation a hundred percent again super you boys are smart. Like, this is fun. Yeah, it's great <laughs> to talk boys, to you, man. Hey! Let's hey, 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 talk about mahogany and... Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, not oh, all mahogany. Jesus. There's dear. a bit of depth there. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little. <laughs> this is, these, are, these are primal patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Like, these, are like, these are like deep, deep in our DNA. You know, if you get kicked out of the tribe and the clan, you're not going to survive because it's you and the wild animals in the jungle. Right. Right. So the same thing applies here. It's just now we start to recognize, oh, hang on a minute. My primal needs are actually met for the most part. Obviously, there's still yeah. sadly a lot of people out there who don't have the basics of food and shelter. But, you know, for the most part, people have actually yeah. got the opposite. They got too much. Right. There's right. excess. This is, you mm -hmm. know, people who struggle with disease, look at obesity, being overweight, high cholesterol, excess stress. You know, there's too much materialism, too much food. Uh, right. We've gone the other way. But yes, emotionally, it is a primal pattern deep in our DNA, which is we want to fundamentally be belong to the gang because when you're by yourself, you won't survive. Mm. Um, which then would tie me into asking about truth, okay? Um, and I wanted to just ask you about, well, for, like, do you believe in truth? And also, what is the role of truth when it comes to uh, the balance between masculinity and femininity. Do I believe in truth, like T R U T H? T R U T H. Do I, I believe the, in the truth? truth. I, mean, I, I would uh, final answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phone a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Do I believe in truth? I mean, I believe in truth. The way I would phrase it more is I believe in physics, right? Like, okay. so I think physics and truth are sort of synonymous. Truth cool. becomes like the subjective analysis of physics. Physics doesn't care whether you believe it or not. It's just physics. You know, it's like I right. drink my water and in like 30, 45 minutes, I'm, I'm going to have to pee. You know, like that's, they could say, well, that's truth. I was like, well, it's also just physics. <laughs> you know, so right. um, I think where, where it gets a little slippery is people think that their perspective is truth. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's that's when we start to get into these like you know religious wars. And that's my wars. truth. Right. Exactly. My God right. is way better than yours. Like your right. your God is fake. You know. And it's right. So I think it's very important for people to distinguish between truth and opinion. And I, for the most part, all I ever hear is opinion. I occasionally hear truth. You know, and that's why yeah. I go back to what I said earlier about getting out of the knowing mind, which would be the realm of truth. Like, oh, I know, like to your mm. point earlier, no, I know that they're shy. I know it. Like, I've been around them. Like, well, I know they're, but no, they're, they go, it's always bubbly. You know, like, I know that. That's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it's like, no, that's an opinion. He's a dynamic being who's going to have ultimately various uh, expressions of himself over time. So for me, I get out of that knowing mind and I like to be in the unknown, but again, comes back to the ego. That's very scary. No one likes that energy of uncertainty because mm -hmm. people want to feel safe. So I do believe in truth, um, but I prefer to look at just what works in the realm of physics. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think <clears throat> Leggy and I like began our friendship, Peter, after some really pretty rough breakups, right? Like some breakup mm -hmm. and we were on the phone and, and to your point around unraveling your own mind, right? you what you think of as true or to, or definitive things about yourself. And suddenly these reference points for what you think of as true or that you think of yourself as begin yeah. to, you start expanding and, and you talk about this in your work. How do you, I guess like without having a reference point, Mm -hmm. how do you get people to break out of that? You know, cause some, they're people's truths. Once you start unraveling it and taking it out, everything like you say becomes possible. Yeah. I guess like what's crazy is it's taken me even three years and I'm still unraveling it. Right. I'm still going, Oh, yeah. right. Even this moment being back at home, I've reverted to something. I don't have to feel this way right now about spending time with my dad or, or whatever it is. It's like, right. Yeah, and it's it's an unraveling that's kind of keep that's happening, but it's hard because I see you must see this a lot. But, uh, there are so many people out there for which there isn't even a point of breaking where they go, okay, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't know. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's beautiful. The way you just said it at the end is like maybe I don't know. What an invitation that is! Like just right. as you said it, like I'm sure listeners, if they got it, maybe I don't know. Now, there's a beat there, isn't there? There's space. Mm. Like it, it, it invites inquiry. You know, you get to start to be curious. Like maybe I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I don't know if like I really thought my mum hated me or my dad was, he left me because I was a bad kid. Like what yeah. if that isn't the case? What if really my dad left because he felt inadequate as a man and it was nothing about me. And yet for these 20, 30 years, I felt like I was not good enough for him. Right. And that becomes your truth. But again, it's a perspective that creates an immense amount of suffering, compensation patterns, all of this deleterious effects on our physiology. We get sick, you know, all through a lens of perspective. And this is why that old expression of perception is reality, right? Mm. And, yeah. and so for me in my work, I really distinguish the difference between reality 
and truth. Everyone's got their reality and I think it needs to be honored. You know, even if I'm listening to someone and I'm like, wow, like what they're saying is just so far from the actual what's happening, both in their life or life. Mm. If I, if I in any way deny that or resist it, I'm going to be met with defiance, right? And that becomes a fight. But like, and I think women do this so much better than men, which is they can listen to each other when they're struggling. Like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. That sounds like an awful, you've had a terrible day. I, I really feel for you. You know, like they're not, they're not denying the person's reality. They know they're just having a bad day. Maybe, you know, they went through a breakup or somebody just said something mean about them or they're not feeling pretty or, you know, maybe they've got chemistry happening with their cycle. But, you know, women, women hold much better space for each other than men do. Men just want to come in and fix it. And they go, mm. well, why are you upset? Like, why didn't you just call them back? <laughs> Easy. Why didn't I think of that? Like, thank you <laughs> yeah. much. I'm just like sitting here crying and feeling yeah. like shit. And you just pointed out what I know, but it's not the point, right? So, yeah. so I think, you know, to be in that space of not knowing, but to honor people's realities and, and dive into the energy of curiosity and go, you know, what if, what if the way that I see life isn't necessarily the way it is? And that's really mm. been the you know, the sort of the milestones in my life is at every point that I've had this huge revelation and, and an epiphany that has shifted the course of my life. It's because I stepped out of something that I thought I knew that I mm. thought was a certain way. And it just wasn't, mm. just wasn't. And this is why I think I started working with a lot of actors because they, that's what they do for a living is they pretend to be somebody, right? right? They take on a role and they know deep down, as even as good as they are at performing, they, they still at a deep level know I'm not this person. Like Tom Hanks playing a, a gay guy dying of AIDS in Philadelphia knows he's married and he doesn't have HIV, like deep right. down, but he's playing the role. And the trouble is, as a human being in everyday life, the role we play started at a very young age and we still we don't know we're playing it. We think it's who we are. Yeah. Like to like his you know, point about, oh, they're just shy. I mean, I had this client, I worked with, I remember, and uh, I was doing work in London periodically, and she came to work with me. We had a session. She had to go and use the, the, the toilet, and when she came back in, she had this big smile on her face, and she's like, I just saw it in action. I'm like, what do you mean? She said, like, what you're telling me about how I've defined myself in all of these lies about myself, but they then dictate how I think, feel, and act. She said, I was in there, and this woman where knock the uh, soap holder over as she was washing her hands. And she said, oh, I'm just so clumsy. But the woman just on the back of our conversations, what she heard is that she was defining herself. So right. she had probably as a kid been told, oh, you're so clumsy, maybe in a playful way. But she heard that over and over. And now she has to keep fulfilling on that. Right. And yeah. now she's a grown yeah. woman and a beautiful, at the time it was a beautiful spa, yeah. golf club. And, you know, but oh, she's still clumsy. You know, right. so anyway, so that it's like it's like that in culture. It's in sorry, it's like in culture where with groups of people get told they can and can't or can't do something in the culture because they yeah. are this this group or this group, and all your yeah. life from the day you're born, someone's telling you you can't do something, and then guess yeah. what? You end up not doing anything, right? It's and it's like, this is yeah. Well, I love language. Like I really traffic in words. You know, like I'm the like mind architecture to me is like reprogramming someone's subconscious realizing that if you live within the container of I'm not good enough, then you can have survival strategies, but you're still in that. Become a people yeah. pleaser and hopefully people will think you're good enough. Become a perfectionist and then hopefully you can somewhat overcome the feeling of not being good enough. But you're always being driven by the I'm not good enough. And it's, 
you know, um, Henry Ford had a beautiful quote about that. He said, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so true, though. And yeah, like so ba- based off of where you're, where you grow up and what your parent, your, your, your local community, i.e. your family's like, you're, yeah. you're basically just absorbing whatever the, 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 uh, the message is from your, from your direct people in your life. And, and then you just like absorb it. And then you go out in the world with those tools and you just like, yeah. you got to wing it. And the next thing you know, you're just dealing with all of the, re- the reactions to how you live in the world, how you see the world through your lens yeah. And, and I like, and, and to, to break all that open is like, it's terrifying because you're going, hang on a minute. I've been living completely unconsciously, just going absolutely mental in my life, going, you know, doing all these <laughs> things and then just go, hang on. Now I've got, I mean, that's why addicts are so awesome to me if they get, once they break through it or they, they stop the addiction and they, they shut down the tool that's been shutting the, the pain down because you yeah. always find that then, they they are forced it's either death or inventory of themselves and yeah. so it makes them so uh, puts them mirror back on them and and I'm I'm one of those people so I'm grateful for that but it's but like I always look at the people that flatline in their life that, that their lows aren't that low or the highs aren't that high and they're not yeah. even there's no reason for them to step outside of that train off that train track you know yeah. and they're just kind of yeah. going along and and um I don't know. To me, that's a tragedy at the same time as I'm grateful for, you know, that extremity, but I don't even know. It, where it, I'm going it with is. That, and, yeah. and again, I think this is where we can have a lot of compassion for our fellow humans, which is everyone's yeah. where at, right? Like, exactly, you know, yeah. so I think just have, for us, obviously we've been confronted with different things. I know for myself, the reason I've gone to the perspective I now have of what I would consider real love, real freedom, real possibility is because I had to face a lot of challenges, you know, parents dying yeah. when I'm young, relationships didn't work out finance stuff, you know, we all go through our things. And I think for some people, there is that just going through the motions and for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, uh, that's their path, you know? And I think there's a lot of humility to be had by having compassion and acceptance, you know, and people can be very mean and judgmental. And there's an audacious kind of attitude of like, Oh, well, you should do this or you shouldn't have done that. And it's like, I I didn't get the memo that you're in charge of the universe and knowing how every human being should behave, you know? So I think when we get that and realize like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Like everyone's doing the best they can within the limits of their current awareness. Yes. And it does feed a lot more compassion. So. How, do, how, would you, how would you say would be a way to deal with something like, okay, like I'll take me for example. How could I possibly have had more suffering than, uh, I don't know, name any like uh, person from a different group that may be a minority or, you know, racial, whatever it is. And like, I'm this guy in the world, like mm-hmm. English, white, straight guy, right. That's, uh, got my own collection of suffering and problems and addictions and traumas. Right. And yeah. we get into this place now in society where you're trying to trump each other's like it's a race to the bottom of like, well, you, it's like that Monty Python sketch. You were lucky. I used to get up half an hour before I went to bed and all that. It's like, right. why are we racing towards who had the, the worst life and now they're the best? So yeah. how the question is, is more like I'm finding myself in a place where I'm trying to justify my own suffering, even though people will look at me and go, you've not even had a hard life because you're like this good looking guy or you're funny or you're, you're, you can't have ever had the same suffering as this person. 
Yeah. Do, do you do you have any like um, comment on well, that? Well, first of all, I'd get rid of the friends who are lying to you, calling you good looking. That's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't know who Mitch mates are those. Right, yeah. Peter, I've never said that. <laughs> He's barely holding on to that ego as it is. That's my just, ego egoic mind kicking in. You see, I've got a, I've got one of these lights here, an ego light. What do you say to people who just tell you you're just the best looking guy around town? Like, what do you yeah, do? So anyway, I've had all this suffering. I walk around. Hey guys, I live in a. America. So, I live in I'm America so now. I'm so handsome. Like I don't know how to deal with all the attention. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of suffering, Leggy. Although I noticed, like, talk about shape shifting and like having new possibilities. You now apparently go by Casey, according to your name on the screen. That's how oh. I currently identify. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, do you want me to help Leggy, or do you want me to help Casey? Casey that's like, my, yeah. my my alter ego. <laughs> 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 I don't know what's happened there. <laughs> no, but, but Katie is gorgeous. Leggy, yeah, is, yeah, not, so not, so, not so much. But yeah, so I would, uh, first of all, I understand that's a lot of suffering to have people lie to you like that. And I'm sorry that you have to hear those compliments <laughs> when you know they're not true. Uh, that's very difficult. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, especially it's a British thing, right? It's a human, like, in, in Australia, they have the tall poppy syndrome. You know, don't get too big for yourself because people will cut you down. And, yeah, right. And in England, it's like be very reserved. And, you know, you certainly don't want to be as outlandishly like bravo and courageous and, you know, full of yourself and arrogant as the Americans. And so there's a right. cultural impact there. So I think English, you know, the, the uh, my, my fellow countrymen, uh, you know, definitely and women, we feel the need to not like, you know, shine too much, which is mm. just preposterous. Um so yeah, with regards to like, it goes back to what I said earlier, the ego wants to be right, you know, it wants to be right about its own perspective. But the, the madness of that is the perspective of the ego is based in inadequacy and security and scarcity. So I've always like, wow, well, yeah, that's right. You can say, oh, see, I told you it's too good to be true. Or I knew that wouldn't last or whatever you're using as evidence for the fact that your life isn't working. It's like, wow. That's super inspiring. You get to be right about your inadequacies. Like, yeah, right. Thanks so much. Right. You know? So I think what we need are human beings who are willing to break out of those constraints, like you've done with your, you know, you, your own your own history and addictions, and and that to me is what we're all actually wanting to aspire to is liberation. That's why I said my yeah. main product is freedom. Living right. in constraint and living in suffering is commonplace. It's not wrong, but Everybody does it. It's like one of my quotes going back to truth. I say, what interests me is the truth. Lying's boring. Everybody does that. Right. You know, it's like, so it takes something for a human being to be vulnerable. It takes something for somebody to share something that they know might not be well received, but is their truth for them, you know? And, and we need more of that. We need more authenticity. Um, the, the, the game of lying and, and fundamentally just trying to look good all the time is... It's everywhere. It's like it's boring, you know? Hello, everybody. So in addition to focusing on mental health, we've been learning a lot about the importance of digestive health here at The Two Lads. We have been looking around for the best kind of daily symbiotic, which is a probiotic and a prebiotic, and we found the company Seed. Now, Seed is formulated for digestive gut, immune, and additional systemic body benefits. It is sustainably delivered each month with its shipping box constructed from ecological paper made from algae. I am extremely impressed, and I really mean this, with not only the product and the science behind it, but all their packaging and their brand values. I like that they make you really look at the science of this and I like that they don't use plastic. And it's a really great company. Uh, you should check it out. 
I've been taking seed now for a, a few months and can feel the difference just in my energy levels in, in how I sleep, in how I digest things. So if you want to try this broad strain daily symbiotic too, visit seed.com and use the code two lads at checkout to receive 15% off your first month of seed delivery. Try it out, check it out. That's the code two lads to receive 15% off your first month of seed daily symbiotic capsules. I think the I mean, the but, authenticity yeah. thing is an interesting point, Peter, because we we have a, a men's team, right? So Leggy and I, like, uh, we have kind of organized a little men's team in, in East LA, right? And so you often get people there, if they're not turning up authentically, you, you get the mirror, right? You get a reflection back, which is, you know, what the fuck are you doing, Daniel? Stop, you know being an absolute knobhead or whatever it is, or, or, or there's some reflection there to see the blind spots that you can't see. Yeah. And that in some ways it, it coaxes you into authenticity in some way, because you start saying, Oh, okay, I can reveal this now and I don't have to hide it. Yeah. And if they're hanging around, it means that it, it isn't this, un, you know, this insane thing that, that can't be kind of addressed and also change. I yeah. guess I, for people who don't have that, right? They they don't know where their blind spots are. They don't know, you know, certainly there are there are people that, that, that don't have, we do it once a week. So there's this kind of sense of meeting up and having this kind of regular thing. But I notice it when we don't have it once a week, which is, you know, blind spots start to appear. You start acting in a way, you know, it's hard for people now to have the resource yeah. to get that reflection. And to, well, they don't and know to what a blind spot them. is. Right, right. But right. well, they don't yeah. know, definitely don't know. I think, I think, you know, this is yeah. beautiful. And I love the fact that you have this sort of group together for yourselves because what I hear and what I want people to understand is what you've got that a lot of, a lot of people have the absence of, like in your group, yeah. is a safe space. Right, yeah. And that's what people don't have. And this is going back to what I said as kids, like they may not have been hit, they may not have been sexually abused, but they didn't feel they had a voice in that house because their mom or their dad would tell them, I'll be quiet, or, or it wouldn't even be a, an instruction of like, you know, restraint. It could be they just weren't listening to them. You know, it's like, how many times is a kid pulling a dad's trousers and the daddy, 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 daddy? It's like for that kid, it's eventually you let, well, what's the point? No one's listening to me anyway. Right, and yeah. so that's where suppression starts at a very young age, is where we realize that our voice doesn't matter. And so yeah. then people start to associate even what they say, going back to Leggy's point about, you know, the words that we use become the very container in which we get trapped, right? Where we say things that are like deleterious to our own view of ourselves, but we get to be right about our own shortcomings because mm. I've got evidence. Look, no one cares about me. Like mm. that's, a, that's unsad, like it's sad, but that's, that's not an uncommon view that people have of themselves. Like who gives a shit? No one cares. Like, mm. And all that is a reflection of is that they haven't had someone who actually li really listened to them. Mm. And I feel if there's one superpower I have, it's really the gift of listening from a place of complete unconditional love, where mm. I let somebody have their reality and their view of themselves and, and, and meet them there. Whereas even, you know, I remember I was doing a retreat in Hawaii and even the most loving mother, she was struggling with her son who was about 16 and he kept saying, you know, I'll never be as good as Jimmy and Jimmy was his older brother. And she brought it up in this workshop at this retreat. And I said, so what's your response to that? And she's like, I, I'm always like, no, you're amazing. And you're this and that, like, like a loving mother would do, right? She keeps 
wanting to fill him with confidence and, and, and her perspective of like how she, he's an amazing boy. And I said, that's the problem. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, you're not listening to him. Mm. You're, you're just telling him what you think about him. Mm. And he's, he's feeling unheard, which is part of the reason he feels inadequate. Now, of course, we don't want him to stay there. I don't want him to feel shitty relative to his older brother, but you're not meeting him. And she had tears in her eyes and she just was like, wow. Mm, yeah. He's always telling me I don't listen to him. And it really hurt her because she obviously loves her son. Anyway, it completely transformed their relationship. So, so even though someone might be saying something that's sort of derogatory about themselves, we at least want to have the loving capacity to meet them there and go, okay, no, I get it. And I could see why you feel that way. And then we can bring in what I would say is more the paternal or the father energy of like, and, and why, why do you think that? Like, mm. I, I know you feel that way and I, I, I respect it, but like what happened that made you start to feel that? Then you can start to do the vulnerability work and let them, right. well, I don't know, it seems stupid, but, you know, like I was talking to a friend the other day, they're like, you know, I was on this, like I was trying to get picked for the team, you know, and they, and this other person got it and he still today like bugs the shit out of me because he got the position. And I, you know, it's stupid. They were 14 or whatever, but it still sits with that person as their confirmation of their inadequacy. Mm-hmm. And it's not a truth, but it's what defined them and they've been living that way ever since. So mm-hmm. we can meet them with like love and compassion, which is to allow people to have their reality and really have an immense amount of patience with somebody, but then simultaneously then we can start to do the work. So that that's what I hear in your group is you have a safe arena to just say it how it is. And and most as sad as it is to say, most human beings don't get that, you know, whether it be family, spouse, just good friends, you know, people have to pay a therapist and, you know, some therapists are great and some therapists are just making money like a job. And so, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, so I, I just, I really invite anybody who's listening to this right now to, even if it's just one friend you have, just one. Yeah. But you know you can be fully you. Yeah. Don't hold back. Like and invite them. Say, listen, I want to share some things that have been weighing on my mind. Would you just listen? I don't I don't even like just listen. I don't you don't even need to say anything. Yeah. And that's why yeah. journaling can be a good exercise for people because even in the absence of a safe space, they can write. It's like why people pray, you know, like they're praying to a, what they perceive as a God or whatever. And there's no judgment in that space so they can say right. whatever they want to say. But I feel the world would be a much better place if people knew how to listen and just honor people's realities. Totally. And I uh, think what you're saying, Peter, is totally right. And and the relationship is not the place to do that, actually. You know, there, there are so many other things involved in a... A, a romantic relationship that actually the safe space has to exist outside of it. You can't, it's hard when you make your partner all of those things, you know, that's just yeah. a, a kind of a, a little kind of, I think you can it. have it both ways, but I think it's good to have an, uh, an alternate outlet too. you know, yeah. like I think if you have a really beautiful loving relationship, then I think you can, if both partners are sufficiently mature, to be right. able to learn to listen and not take things personally. It's just most romantic relationships aren't powerful because they're just two egos talking to each other. It's like, right. if you if you behave the way I want you to behave, I'll keep lo- loving you and it's reciprocated. you know. But if people have done the individual work and they become powerful human beings of full love and acceptance, you know, then, boy, that's a powerful relationship. But you know, you're right, Daniel, because for the most part, people don't have that. So they do sure. need some safe outlet. Yeah. Well, well, that leads me to this question. Then I'll just jump onto this and let's move into romantic relationships, which is like, what are we looking for? Like, what does love look like 
in romantic relationships as a, as like a benchmark and and what are we supposed to be feeling and uh, across the the duration of a relationship post 90 days free that we call it on the here which is like the, the 90 day free trial sure. and then and then you and then boots on the ground now what does it look like like what right. does love look like in that sense in your in your mind in my mind love is you know I think it's the most powerful force. I think it's very misunderstood. I think it's become romanticized. To me, love is all embracing. It's all accepting. So what that looks like, and I had to learn this the hard way, but it was such a powerful lesson is I fell in love for the first time when I was in uh, Sydney, Australia. I was, you know, pretty young buck around 28 for my first profound experience of love. And I thought I'd found love with this woman that I met. It was very Hollywood, cross a crowded room, quintessential moment, our eyes lock. You know, you could write like poetry about it. And, um, and so we sort of, by chance, happened to go to lunch with a mutual friend three or four days later. We confirmed that moment. because I didn't know who the hell she was uh, apart from the moment. And we were left together for a split second while this friend of ours went and took a phone call. And I said to her, I said, was there anything about the other night that you remembered in particular? Because <laughs> I didn't know if she felt what I felt. And her response was, I just wanted you to pick me up and take you, take me away. Mm. So right there, it sealed our fate. It was a beautiful oh. moment. And then three days later, <laughs> her boyfriend at the time found out there was something going on and put the kibosh on it. And then that was that, right? So ah. I went from this euphoric feeling of love to her calling me and saying, I can't blah, 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 you know, which, which I got, I respected, you know, we, we, it's not like we were dating, we just met. Um, but it just ripped my heart out in terms of like this overly melodramatic feeling that I was having because it was the first feeling of real love. And then this sort of view of my future just suddenly got pulled away and it was devastating. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I'm leading up to in understanding love is that was my subjective personalized love. That was Peter Crone's feeling of love. Mm -hmm. And then I met literally three or four days later, I was working with these VIPs making films down there as their trainer. And I met their chef for lunch. She had a friend in town. She wanted me to meet. And I walked in like death, you know, like, and I was the trainer, like to go back to Leggy's point about like being the bubbly guy, I was the bubbly guy as a trainer. Like I was always full of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, vitality. And I walked in like death because of what just transpired with this relationship. And even the chef was like, Oh my God, like I've never seen you like this. And I kid you not, halfway through lunch, I suddenly realized this is what came to me. I was like, wow, I have so much love to give. Mm. Like I, I, I found how much love I had to give by virtue of this girl, but I'd collapsed it with her. Right. But like love was over there with her. Yeah. And at that moment, uh, it, it sounds again, like very like, you know, theatrical, but like, I could see myself in my chef friend's eyes. I felt so bright. And I realized love doesn't have a personal agenda. And I was having a personal agenda until that moment. Not wrong. I was human. You know, no one's going to deny the fact that I fell in love. And I want, but at that moment, I wanted her to do what was right for her. Mm -hmm. And that's when I discovered love. It wasn't about me. It wasn't like I was in love. It was like I was love. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a totally different experience. It mm -hmm. wasn't subjective. It wasn't personified. It right. was the essence of love. And most mm -hmm. people, what I assert, will know what that is deep down inherently. They may not have experienced it. They may hopefully now as they hear my words go, wow, I actually don't love my husband. 
I want him to be a certain way. Or I don't love my mum. I want them to be a certain way. Well, then that's you with your own view of how someone else should be. That's got nothing yeah. to do with love. That's all conditions. Yeah. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. But to me, love is all embracing. No, it's I, I love that. I love that. Fully, I think, I mean, I fully agree with that too. I mean, would you say, you know, I say it's like, it's outward. Love is flowing all the time outward and regardless yeah. of judgment, it's, an, it's acceptance. And then if I'm loving you, right, without expectation and actually, and you're doing that to me without expectation, now there's a feedback love of loop that has no expectation and we're both yeah. receiving and giving at the same time. Like that's yeah, how I want to perceive it. You know. Yeah, that's that to me is the world that you know works, right? That's like true unity. That's harmony. All the words that we might, as humans, as a species, say we want. Oh, we want world peace. I'm like, no, you don't. You're like freaking yeah. at war with yourself and your like sibling. That's like, yeah, you're right. just saying it, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I would just add one thing, Lee, which is what you said is beautiful. Love does flow out, but it it's slippery, right? Because I think women fall into this more than men because they tend to be the nurturers just by, you know, their makeup, right? Women are the care providers. And so they can fall into the trap of they have to be loving, right? And so even yeah, nurturing, you know, kids yeah. are misbehaving or their spouse isn't the best or like, it's okay, I'll be more loving. This is the big caveat that I would add. Love includes you. Mm, right. So the visual, if people are watching this, like, you know, it's like I put my arms out. You can't see because I'm too close to the camera. <laughs> That's like, how much I'm, you love. <laughs> yeah. I'm hugging the world as I love you. Right. But love has got a set of arms behind me too. Right. And this is so powerful because so many people stay in unhealthy relationships, whether it be professionally romantic or otherwise, because they think it's incumbent upon them to be the loving person. No. Yeah. Love includes you. And if you're in an abusive situation or even in a situation that you don't enjoy, then love would also take care of you and remove yourself from that. So yes, love is outgoing, but the expression I use or the, the quote I use is as we express, so we experience. Yeah. So if I express hatred towards someone and I think I'm hating them, I'm the one feeling the poison. Yeah. Right. If I express right. love towards someone, I'm also the beneficiary of that expression of love. Mm. So that's the one thing that I see missing, even in very loving communities, is that they just miss that subtle difference, which is include yourself in the essence of love. And that might mean that what you're currently doing as a loving act isn't actually loving because it's a little bit abusive to yourself. Right. Yeah. Like you're a little bit, you're a little bit kind of almost attracted to your own pain in some capacity yes. right yeah yeah it becomes a, a job like you know the kid who maybe grew up in a home where one of the parents was an addict or an alcoholic or sick mm. and the child learned that my my feelings don't matter because we've got to put all the attention on my other brother or my mum who's not well and so that human being learns to mm. compromise themselves and put themselves on the back burner and so then in a relationship, they will tend to be somebody who prov provides all the time, you know, and yet they're not getting their own needs met because that's what they've developed as a conditioning pattern. Sure. So love would go, wait a minute, how are you? Are your needs being met? Are mm. you tired? Is somebody not acknowledging you? So, and that for a human being is very difficult because we're sort of programmed to, as we've did, you know, been discussing throughout, to think we have to do something to be accepted by the gang, you know, yeah. by the tribe. 
And so it feels like it's incumbent upon us to show up in a certain way versus no. I, you know, when I learned love to the point that the story I was sharing, like I shifted my whole relationship to myself, like in the way that I took care of myself. I didn't go to things that I really didn't want to, but before I might've done, cause I felt I should have done, you know, yeah, right. or, you know, it's like, no, I mean, my truth to go back to Logie's question about truth. I always say that my truth is their truth and vice versa. If like I'm in a relationship and like their truth is that they want to leave, then I know at some level that's my truth. It might hurt right now, mm. yeah. but if I'm honoring through love that that's what they feel, yeah. then I'm going to trust that there's something better for me, even if it's them coming back in three months or it's just a better version of a, a new relationship. So mm, love right. has a huge umbrella of qualities that I think are very powerful. And I think it's most sadly misunderstood because of a lot of the Hollywood stuff, you know, right. it's like, yeah. oh, Cruise, like you complete yeah. me. It's like, Oh God, yeah. you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, what you're saying is I'm incomplete. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Um, uh, I love that. And we, we've talked about that on, 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 on other episodes of the podcast. Um, what, what, how do we, okay. So how, how can we trust our perception of the feelings that we're having in a relationship? So, yeah. So based off of, if we view the world through our own lens off the back of our own conditioning and programming, when yeah. you're in a relationship, how do you know that what you're feeling is the truth or yeah. it's based on your own trauma, trauma conditioning? So like, oh, you, you've with, you're with a girl, you're with her for a bit, and then all of a sudden, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not attracted to her anymore because you're hitting your ceiling of limitation, right? Yeah. And so how can you trust that you either going, I've got to smash through that ceiling to go through with this person to get to the next level, or yeah. we pull back, we retreat. Like you're yeah. your own person. How can you know what you're thinking is real or it's trauma? Yeah. Yeah. And when to push uh, through. Um, amazing question. And I think ultimately you don't. Right. Okay. But life does. Yeah. And that's right. the good news, right? Like yeah. we don't, so I, I, I'll use an analogy that might help answer the question. Imagine you walk into a theater, a cinema, to watch a movie that you've never watched before, and you're 30 minutes in, which could be the first year of your relationship, and there's another hour to go. And they, you know, for the sake of this example, they pause the movie for you, and you turn to your friend and go, how do you know if, if they're going to win? How do you know if the bad guy is going to get caught? Right? Like your mate would be like, well, we don't, that's why we're watching a movie. <laughs> 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 so I, so do that. It, uh, yeah. I hope that helps, which is you just got to, you got to get on with it. And here's yeah. the good news. I'll give you an example of a case study. A friend came to me, very, very lovely guy, very successful from a big, very traditional Catholic family. And he was dating someone with whom they had a baby but they weren't married, which was the first taboo thing in their family as Catholics. And it was coming up to Thanksgiving here, which is obviously a big uh, holiday in America. And he came to see me and he's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm stressed. I don't know what to do. He said, because I know my relationship with my girlfriend is pretty much over, you know, pain in the butt, whatever. But if I don't take her to Thanksgiving, my family is going to be, obviously wondering what's going on and I'm going to have to deal with the stress and the questions and the judgment because I have a child out of wedlock with a woman that now I'm leaving. But then if I take her, 
with me, then the family's going to assume everything's okay and then I still haven't gone anywhere and I'm going to have to break the news to them at some point. And that's how the brain thinks, right? It's like zero one, zero one, zero one, duality. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, interesting. And I said, so what, what, what do you think is the right thing to do? And, you know, he was going back and forth like we do. We rationalize. I'm like, look, the truth is you don't know. You don't know what to do, right? And he's like, no, that's, that's, see, that's the truth, first of all, is I don't know. And I said, I want you to know this. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> right, yeah. He's like, he's like, what do you mean? I said, take her, don't take her. That's got nothing to do with your problem. Right, right. <laughs> your, issue is, your issue is you don't fundamentally think that you're loved and accepted by your family. Right, right. And that was like, oh, you know, right. for him. But at least he's looking for the here. external. He's just looking for the right response. Validation, back. which yeah, is right. really a reflection of the fact that he feels judged, which of course is part of, you know, maybe his family dynamic is a bit judging. And certainly sure. the lens of Catholicism didn't help that, you yeah. know. So he's experienced that. So why would he think that he's loved and accepted? But I said, what if you can just love and accept yourself for the fact that you met someone that you fell in love with, you have a beautiful child with, this is obviously your journey. Mm. And the fact that you keep resisting it and judging it means that you're actually also doing what your family does to you, but to your own life. Mm. You're continuing the abuse of judgment and criticism. Yeah. And so this comes full circle to, you know, do we know what we're doing or not doing? It doesn't matter because if you stay with the person thinking you should break through and it doesn't work, you're going to get the lesson. If you leave the person and you're like, I messed up, you're going to get the the lesson. lesson. (laughs) It's a victory either way. You can't make a mistake. That's the good news. Seriously, this is why I say we're beneficiaries of life, not victims of it. You know, and that's the real trust. There's not so much in your own, your own perception and your own opinions, but the fact that you can't make a mistake. It might take a little longer to learn the lesson, you know, like sometimes people are pretty stubborn and these patterns are there and they're very ingrained. And for someone to break through that could take years for somebody else. It could be an epiphany, you know, within a minute. But that's where, again, I come back to love and compassion and patience is that we're all doing the best we can. And to not belabor too much the pressure that people put on themselves or should I do this or shouldn't I do it? It doesn't matter. All yeah. you're here for is to learn to be free and love yourself. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I love that's that. A be- that's a beautiful thing, Peter. I, I think that um, what's interesting about what, what I think you you always come to any problem with is that you always seem to ask the deeper question, right? It's a, mm. There's one more question below the question. And yeah. what I'm interested in is, is you said something before is, is, you know, you em- embrace what is so, so that there's this feeling of once you've asked that question and embrace the truth of what is, mm-hmm. what, what does embracing that look like? Because, you know, for, for some people, I'm sure you work with, with actors or, or, or artists and they feel a lot, right? So there's, it might be that they can say, yes, I understand that this feeling has come from, this, you know, they've asked a deeper question to embrace it. What does that look like? Does that, does that look like sitting in it and saying, right, okay, this is uh, to feel that pain, you know, or is it something where you're kind of working on feeling that a little lighter every time? Or, you know, I'm just interested in, in that because as a, as we are both artists, we're, we're both like, Oh oh God, pain. And so (laughs) there's also a thing of trying to feel that and not knowing when to come out, you know, the, yeah. 
So there's just something. It's a beautiful question, mate. Like you guys are like, it's just, I'm so flattered to be with you and have this wonderful conversation. I hope people are getting something from it. So you use the term embrace it. So again, it's very simple, but very powerful because we tend to think of embrace as a verb. It's something I do. Oh, do I embrace life and embrace? I'm going to go back to what I said about love. Embrace includes you. Mm-hmm. So what I so for me to be with life or to accept life might include the fact that there's a part of me that doesn't accept life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. 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 That gets slippery, right? But so it's like so if people really got what I just said, it's pretty profound. Like it's acceptance with a capital A. There's mm-hmm. like yeah, I can accept what's going on in the world right now, but I also accept the part of me that thinks it's a crock of shit. Right. Yeah. Right. Awesome. And that mm-hmm. allows my humanity. Oh. So so that could be the. That's the deeper level of I'm included in the collective. It's not Peter Crone has to be this like, oh, so altruistic, loving, accepting man. That's a lot of pressure, Mm. you know, and I am for the most part that guy. But I also have my own feelings of like all of the abhorrent bullshit that's going on in the world. And Mm. I'm allowing myself to have that feeling. Mm. Right. Then there's no resistance. Resistance. Yeah. Yeah. This sort of goes back a bit to Logie's question about like, do we know it's the truth or a it's like, where, where do we find the sore spot? It's like foam rolling, but emotionally. Right? Right, right, right. <laughs> we know about that. We do CrossFit. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we want to we keep our limitations. Yeah. <laughs> None of this fancy flexibility, no, fancy no, no, stuff. No. We want to so, get up and not be able to get out of bed, Peter. That's yeah. how we roll. Yeah, I look great in a tight T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so resistance is, is really the access point. Like, where do I feel like I'm in resistance with life? Right. And so resistance might include the fact that I want to cry, but I'm thinking I shouldn't, or I want to scream and I'm thinking, I, that's resistant. There's nothing wrong with screaming. Screaming is screaming. Yeah. I can remember I was in I was in Whole Foods one day, and this mate of mine I hadn't seen for a long time, but who I'd seen on some of these circuits, whether it was one of the workshops I was doing or a workshop we were in together. And he came in, and you could just tell he was really flustered. You know? And I'm like, "You all right, mate?" He's like, oh, "I'm just I'm fucking so stressed." I'm like, "Oh, why?" What's, well, he said, "Well, I'm just I'm just angry, you know, and I'm, I'm I've done all this work, and I'm just stressed because I'm angry." Wait, wait, wait. So let me get this right. So you're angry, but you're really stressed because you're angry. You're really stressed because you're angry and you think you shouldn't be angry because you've done a lot of workshops. (laughs) Sounds familiar. And I'm like, right. So, so, so you're the only angry person I know. So yeah, you should be beating yourself up. Right, right. (laughs) Like there's no other people on the planet who experience anger apart from you anymore. So you're a complete failure. Yes. So really the issue was that he was resisting his own emotional experience. And I, I often talk about this dinner party environment where you're putting together a guest list, but of all your emotions. Then you go through the list of all your emotions. You've got like, you know, happiness. Like, of course we want happiness and we want love and kindness. Who doesn't want kindness at a dinner party and joy and playfulness? And, you know, these, these are absolute shoo-in invites for the dinner party, right? And then you get to depression. Oh, do, do, wow. do we have to really invite yeah. depression? Let's <laughs> leave it out, please. Oh, yeah. And apathy and bitterness. Yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, fuck. Like, you know what's going to happen if, like, bitterness shows up. Yeah, so yeah. the point is the, the gamut of human experience as it relates to our emotions isn't going anywhere. Mm. The question is, can you be a big enough being to make space for all of them? 
Mm. Now, that to me is real love, real self-love. So, yeah, I'm having myself a moment. It goes back to what I was saying about women who do an incredible job of holding space for a girlfriend, a sister, a mother who is having a bad day and feels ugly or feels sad or feels depressed. They, They make space for that, you know? Yeah. And giving yourself that, permission to feel shit, basically. Yeah. Just give yourself yeah. permission. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we don't want it to become like a ongoing process where we wallow in it and then right. that becomes a pity party. You know, I give myself space for my humanity, but then I let my objectives and my commitments kick in at some point. It's like, okay, yeah. you know, you felt sorry for yourself long enough now. Let's, let's get going again with the things that you really want to accomplish in your life. And again, that comes back to having a safe space, journaling, um, you know, and to answer your question practically, Daniel, like sometimes it might mean you go outside, you go on a hike and you fucking scream. I can remember once when I was really, really hurt, really upset with a breakup, you know, which has been the catalyst for me, the one I shared. And then there was a second one that was really pivotal in my own evolution. Like that really hurt when I found out a few months later that she was dating someone. The breakup wasn't so bad. I'd sort of dealt with my fear of loss. My parents had died when I was young. So yeah. that was a hard one for me when someone leaves me. So that was fine because of the first one that I told you about across the crowded room. I dealt with loss there. But then this one was like, I'm not good enough. She's dating someone else. Right. And I was so angry. I took I took a golf club <laughs> and gave myself permission to just smash it against my driveway and i've never done anything like that i was like a very shy kid british kid you know good boy quintessentially well behaved and it was such a powerful exercise for me in self-expression i did it in a very careful way my driveway was sort of gravelly like cemented together so i knew if i smashed a two iron and it wasn't a very good golf club you know i wasn't picking my favorite like you know it was a strategy to my did you have a caddy (laughs) (laughs) i take the driver on this one please thank you (laughs) (laughs) Um, so i put like protective glasses (laughs) because i could have gone blind safety first peter safety first yeah exactly this is for your health and safety this is the most british thing i've ever heard so i put the on i got the two iron out and then i put my smoking jacket it on at the same yeah. time. <laughs> I felt the wind. There was a little bit of a wind from the right, from the west. <laughs> and then I went at it and I smashed yeah. the yeah. shit out of my it, mate. It was amazing. And then at the end, which is usually the case, when the anger is dissipated, what you're left with is pain, is hurt. I was just really hurt. And so yeah. then I lay on my driveway on my yeah. back and I just cried for about half an hour. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was just such a beautiful exercise. You know, people understand physiologically, if you follow, you know, if you swallow some food that's poisonous, you, your body's going to do its thing, right? And you're going to have to yeah. throw up. Yeah. It's not pleasant, but thank God you do it because it then doesn't get pushed deeper into your, you know, tissues yeah. and you feel like shit for a few days. So likewise, that to me was an exercise in self-expression, which if anyone had witnessed it, thank God I lived in a very private place where no one could see anything. But if anyone witnessed that, I'd be like, wow, that guy's lost his mind, right, you know? Totally. But for me, it was such a beautiful exercise in love, you know? Yeah. I just did a meditation yesterday with a friend and and just went absolutely mental for like, just let a lot of aggression out. I was carrying a lot of anger and and then sadness came after that. But I was almost doing a warrior dance to like in meditation. I I just punched the air for like 15 minutes 
and just like it was so amazing to get that out in that safe yeah. space and just like release yeah. it and then i was just crying like a baby for another 15 minutes right so. yeah underneath um, everything for me fundamentally all of the sort of what we could say derogatory or negative emotions underneath all of everything is people are just hurt and scared yeah, yeah definitely that's what the primal emotions are i'm hurt yeah. and i'm scared and then we right. use emotions to compensate yeah so, which is why we compassion so good to to, to meet yeah. that you know it's okay you know like everyone can relate to what it feels like to be hurt to yeah. have a loved one die you know to yeah. have a child die to have a relationship end, to lose a job you know yeah. these are things that we all go through and i think as part of the human journey we are learning a profound sense of love and acceptance and that's yeah. that's no easy task that's 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 harder than even crossfit i hate to tell you <laughs> Um, it's the work that you're doing peter which is you know that's what we're really you know and we're we're conscious of your time right now we just we're we're really kind of on this mission to to you know it starts with us a little bit you know that we're so conditioned i think to think outside that there certainly i think it's pretty prevalent to think outside that there are these things that are way outside of our control, you know, that there are these forces, these malevolent forces, and actually it's, it's human beings and, and human beings are essentially quite flawed. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the fear factor around big mechanistic movements of humans and, and uh, political things, they, they, they actually rob you of the sense of self-responsibility. They, they yeah. rob you of a sense of how do I do this in my little community, how do yeah. I, how do I, how do me and legs, how are we more honest with each other? Right. How are you yeah. and I, how do we make this conversation more honest? And that you just start in that place. And that's kind of what we're, we're, we're kind of trying to get to. And so thank you so yeah. much for just chatting with us about it and, and being also a light in the fucking darkness right now. Yeah, I, I second that. It's such an honor to to talk to you today, and like, what an amazing uh, experience to just have this uh, opportunity to do it. You know, and thank you, and, fellas. Means means the world to me. You know, I would never have guessed I'd be in a situation that I am today as a man from a little little village in southeast Kent on the cliffs, where you know my mum died at seven of cancer, and my dad went to work one day when I was seventeen on the ferries and never came back. You know, and here. Okay. Wow. I get the most incredible um, human beings reaching out to me from all walks of life who are really extraordinary in their own industries, asking for my counsel. And it's, it's, uh, it's very humbling. And so to be with you guys, it feels the same. You know, you're both yeah. amazing men. And I really, really acknowledge you both for what you're doing and the space you hold for people in your men's group or through this show. And uh, I feel very flattered to be on this uh, podcast with you. And I really hope it makes a difference. That's my commitment is to you know, show up on planet earth and ruffle a few feathers maybe, but leave it a better place than when I got here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we'd, we'd love to have you on again sometime in the future yeah. and, and check, yeah. check back in with you and see how we're doing all of us. Yeah. I'd love great. To. I, you know, see if I've got any, like if I've worked on my technique with the two iron. I think it's also brilliant. You know, just to end it, uh, you know, just on my side here is like, Pete, what's also fucking awesome about you is it is fun life's meant to be fucking fun. Whenever I watch your Instagram, which people should go to whatever, it's always like one of those things where you're like, Oh yeah, fucking hell. Life is supposed to be a bit fun. Do you know what I mean? We can't spend our time going, you know, this is, it's fun. And life, I, you know, 
I, I just think that watching you deal with these, these things, creating these safe spaces, like it's felt, you know, when we're talking, it's like, oh yeah, I do feel really listened to, but also like, fuck, that was fun. Get out and enjoy it and live it because you only do it once and life's yeah. too serious to take seriously. You know, isn't that what they say? Like, uh, yeah, I the old so. expression yeah. of playing it safe is the riskiest way to live, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. if there's one thing that I really hope people can get from today is like be easier on themselves, you know, bring a little bit more love to themselves. Don't be so, you know, critical or judgmental. Don't berate yourself. You're doing the best you can. And invariably, the language of criticism is something you inherited, you know, because you heard mom, you heard dad. And that's no slight on mom and dad. Those are hard jobs. You know, mom and dad were doing the best they could within the limits of their awareness, right? So just we continue this lineage of having more compassion, more patience. And as you said, just look, this whole thing is just a shit show of self-development and self-realization, you know, like adversity is the gift, right? Mm. Like I, I did a beautiful podcast with this vegan bodybuilder yesterday who's just shredded and such a beautiful soul. And he was talking about the same sort of thing of like, well, how do we, you know, whenever I meet struggles or resistance, I tend to go the other way. I have my ways of escaping. Like, he's, you know, people drink or they do whatever. And, and I said, well, think about your working out. And for you guys, we CrossFit. I said, I work with a ton of athletes. If I gave one of my pro athletes who's 250 pounds, just shredded, I gave him two five-pound dumbbells. And I said, come on, let's, let's knock out five reps. What <laughs> <laughs> like, the hell's fucking wrong with you? You know, you need resistance. You know that with your body. If you're yeah. going to be stronger, faster, more powerful, you, you, you are pulled towards, you're actually excited by lifting something heavier. And if people could sort of apply the same principle emotionally and go, wow, that really hurt, but I became better and I'm going to go deeper into wherever I find more resistance in my life so that I can become a more expanded, a bigger being, and my capacity to have strength and power to deal with life just becomes exponentially bigger. Yeah. Amen. What? Amen. What an awesome message. Peter Crone, thank, thank you so much, man, for, for being on the show and uh, big love to you and big love to you all out there. And we'll see you on yeah, the next thanks, one, guys. Much love. Thanks, Thank guys. you, guys. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to the episode of the Two Lads Podcast. If you want more information on Peter Crone, you can go to his website at petercrone.com or you can head over to Instagram peter crone official as always please remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts hit as many like buttons as you want along the way and hit notifications so that you know when a new episode is coming out and as always this conversation is ongoing big love to you all yes lad yes lad